some of the great old hymns have a story behind them. So precious. Lord willing, in about an hour and 19 minutes or so, give or take, we'll be gathering. You got some songs picked out, right? Let, let's have several songs and then, uh, Lord willing, we'll have a baptism. I'll uh, have a few words to say up there, but mainly I want to talk about biblical baptism, uh, part one, because there's so much to it. And I'm going to take a lead from a famous writer. He said, six little friends that taught me all I knew. This is how, what, when, where, why, and who. Well, it's actually seven. But I don't think we'll be able to deal with the first one. I want to talk about the what. What do we mean by baptism? I'm, I'm not sure. Ms. Julie, you know the one who picks the scriptures for the bulletin? Brother Shane? Sean? Sorry about that. Uh, you probably get that a lot, don't you? All right. One of the scriptures is our text. Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus said, if you're saved, you don't just sit around and twiddle your thumb. You know, a goofing off Christian is not a Christian who's doing what they ought to do. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That word teach there means make disciples. That, that's what Brother Matt's doing in Thailand. That's what we're supposed to do in our homes, in our neighborhoods, on the job, in Walmart, talking about the Lord. We ought to be on fire for the Lord. That uh, that'll get a preacher in trouble in some places, but it's the truth. Teach all nations, and you know some of those people are going to listen. Some people are going to give a hoot about Jesus Christ, just like Paul of Mars Hill. Some people said that's the stupidest thing ever, but others said we would hear you again. Well, there's a seed. Something's been planted. The Lord works. And so it's our job to preach and to teach and to live it before others. And so some will be, by the grace of God, called. They'll be converted. And you know what we ought to do with those? Those who say, I am the Lord's own. The Scripture says that we are to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And nothing pleases me, and I hope nothing pleases you more that they hear, that here is somebody who cares about the things of God. Who knows they are a sinner. And they know that Christ died for sinners. And they want to identify with Christ. You know what we do with those people? We don't sneak out and put a bumper sticker on their car. I'm a Christian. We don't give a piece of jewelry. We baptize them. Those who make credible profession. Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now by the way, we're stopping 
for our reading just there. But that's not the end of the line. I think some people are like, well, I've been baptized, and so I can just sit like a knot on a log until Jesus comes. You know, you're supposed to be growing. You're supposed to be going. You're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be involved. Well, that's for the preacher to do. Well, a preacher does that because he's a Christian, number one. We ought to love the things of God. And that doesn't always fly with some folks. Like some people think, and uh, we're reminded of that. See how Sunday school helped? We're reminded that there are people who physically, they're all grown. Somebody told me not too long ago, I don't want to grow up. Do you remember that, Brother John? Somebody said they didn't want to grow up. I'm afraid there's some Christians like that. I just want to be a baby Christian. And, and I want to say, Jesus wept. And uh, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens too. And that's all I want to talk about. But we put some time in rain. We want to know some things about the Lord. We say, well, I learned certain doctrine. Well, doctrine is a teaching to motivate us to have a deeper love for the Lord, to obey Him, to remember Him, to know that He speaks to us and our great need. We, uh, I mentioned the word sincere because it says Peter 2.2, the sincere milk of the Word. There are some people, they don't care about the S word, Scripture. They just care about sincere. This is what I think. This is how I feel. Let me give you my take. Well, I don't mean to pop anybody's bubble, but the Lord doesn't stay up at night wondering what your opinion is about a thing. He doesn't do that about mine either. He's already gone on record. We live in a world which says, phooey on God. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, Marcia and I were driving, what was that, 71? I'm program. 71 and 8 meet. And there were a bunch of folks out there with signs, we're vegans. And they were, they were really down on McDonald's and Wendy's because they eat beef. Shame on these people that kill animals and eat their flesh. And then the person next to him had a sign advocating abortion. That's how crazy it's come in this world. We want the, the cows and the horses and the sheep and the chickens. They need to be left alone. We need to promote their life. But a human in the womb? They're disposable. That tells us a lot about our culture. Yeah. And uh, I think the theological term is it's just wacky about some of those things. But when your idea of, well, I believe this with all my heart, preachers are about, I believe this with all my heart, yet the Bible says this, that's what we need to say. Amen. That's how we ought to feel about a thing. Yeah. But sentimentality. I think is a bad way to start your theological program. Well, I think. Here's what I suppose. No. God didn't ask you. He didn't consult with me. Now, what would make sound theology? You tell me, Buster. Uh, no, 
Lord, you feed me. You tell me. You direct my steps. You give me the right word. I want to hear what you have to say. Sometimes human traditions, popular notions. Paul makes a bold declaration in Romans 3, 4. He says, let God be true and every man a liar. I think we said that included the ladies and the kiddos too. Just because people say a thing, that doesn't make it so. Somebody might have been saying something for thousands of years. You know, for a hundred years, the scientists said the earth was flat. Well, as far as I can tell, it ain't flat. Just to watch a ship go over the horizon. It has a way of coming back, too. But uh, just because you perceive a thing a certain way, just because your knowledge is very limited, and it's not very wise to talk as an authority about something you really don't know much about. So I want to talk about what it is that biblical baptism is. Now I know there's a sense in which the scripture speaks about Holy Spirit baptism. I believe that happened in Acts chapter 2 when those Jews were there and they spoke to their mind. They were speaking in their language. But they were heard of Oh, this guy's from that neck of the empire. This person's from that. And they all heard in their own language. How did that happen? Things came down and lit upon their head. Appeared to be as tongues of fire. And that was replicated later in the book of Acts in chapter 10. When Peter, who was there at Pentecost in Acts 2... He was also there in Acts 10. And the same sort of thing happened with the Gentiles. And so, interestingly, he said, can any forbid baptism? The same thing that happened with us back, well, if you counted the chapters, just eight chapters back. This happened right here with the Gentiles. God is saving Gentiles. Aren't you glad God saves Gentiles? Amen. You say, well, what about the Jews? Well, he spiritually makes you part of the Israel of God. But the Lord said you take the gospel to all the world. That includes Arkansas and the other 49 states. It includes all the other countries as well. It says, folks, take the gospel. But we want to know what biblical baptism is. Jesus spoke about He said, I have a baptism that you don't know about us. He asked some of them, are you ready to be baptized with the baptism? Oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's real easy to say when the moment you feel is right to say, oh, I can do But we're talking about commitment. <laughs> Whatever baptism you see in the Scripture, it speaks to a commitment. It is not the act of salvation. An awful lot of people who Make a big mistake on that. They forget that baptism is a consequence. It is not a condition. You want to be baptized? Praise the Lord. You know, my first question is, have you been saved? You say, well, I don't know. I know it wouldn't be a smart thing to pursue this any further. Baptism is a response 
not a requirement. It's interesting how quickly people would make baptism a, a condition, a requirement of salvation. I asked one fellow, I said, you know, in the book of Acts, it also tells us there were people that, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. And they made a big deal about that. How can these Gentiles be saved? They're not even circumcised. Well, circumcision has nothing to do with salvation. And baptism is a display. It's an act of obedience. Now, let's clear up some things from Scripture. What biblical baptism, what we're talking about, water baptism, believer's baptism. For our purposes this morning, that's the only kind of baptism we're talking about here. Now, there's another B word. Obi, Obi uh, Baker put out a little tract once. Everything the Bible says about baptizing babies. And you open it, it's empty. That says a lot, but saying nothing. John R. Gilman used to say, let me tell you, there's three kinds of scripture in the Bible. For those who talk about babies, they don't say anything about salvation. Or about baptism. And then they want to talk about baptism, they don't say anything about babies. And then those don't say anything about baptism or babies. That should teach us something. Biblical baptism is not a way of being born again. You have hope of seeing someone in heaven. Well, they were baptized. So, like one fellow in Rhode Island used to say, you can be baptized in the pond until all the frogs know you on a first day basis. It's not the act of baptism that saves. But the same ought to be baptized. They should want to be. When I talk to people about their soul, I'm saved. And uh, I wonder if they followed the Lord in baptism. Well, not yet. Well, I, I hope the Lord convicts you about that. Because if He died for you, why did you live for Him? And, and what's the beginning of that? First thing we find. Now, to be assured of heaven. Some people will make out like baptism is going to finish the job. Well, turn with me please, if you're already in Matthew, go to Matthew chapter 3. And Jesus himself makes a reference to his baptism. He goes to a man named John. John's a pretty special fellow. We'll talk about him a little bit later but not today, about baptism. He was called of God. John 1 tells us that God was the one who called him and sent him to baptize. Jesus goes to this guy John. We call him John the Baptist. For a good reason. There's another John. He's John the Apostle. And so, start with verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee, that's way up in the north, to Jordan, went down to a spot in the river unto John to be baptized of him. Now, Jesus was the Son of God. And yet, he recognized that God had sent John to baptize. So he ventured, some say 50, 60 miles, maybe more, so that he could receive baptism from John. Now, John said, wait a minute. He knew that Jesus was more than just some 
somebody. He was in everybody. Here was this one that he recognized. But John forbade him. He said, hey, I'm not, I'm not any good to baptize you. He's the one said of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. I'm unworthy. I have need to be baptized of thee. Comest thou to me? Jesus did not say, okay, fine, I'll baptize you. Boop, boop, and now you look the me. Boop, boop, and that'll make it. No, Jesus did not. Jesus recognized that John was authorized to baptize. Some people say they want to be like Jesus, but they're not too crazy about talking about John. You've got to read their Bible, don't you think? And Jesus answering said, what was Jesus' response to that? He gave him a long explanation. He said, suffer, which means allow it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. To put it in the vernacular, Jesus, it would be a good thing, a good work. It would fulfill all righteousness. It's part of the solution, not part of the problem. That's all John needed to hear. And so it says, then he suffered or allowed him and went ahead. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus himself said, if you baptize me, that will fulfill all righteousness. Wasn't Jesus already perfect? Of course He was. Then why did He, quote, need to be baptized? It would be the right thing. What He wanted to display, how He wanted to encourage, what He wanted to lay down by His actions, because Jesus didn't just talk the talk, He walked the walk. You want to be like Jesus? Don't just say His words. Do the deeds that he would have us to do as well. And so it is interesting to me that Jesus said, By baptizing me, you will be fulfilling all righteousness. So did John's baptizing Jesus make John a believer? No. Did baptizing Jesus make him a child of God? No. He was already the child of God. And yet Jesus himself said, if you do this, it fulfills all righteousness. Now, you might know this from memory. I hope you do. In Titus 3, 5, it tells us, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. There's not a one of us here. There's not a person ever born in this world who can honestly, according to the scriptures, say, I was saved by my works. Even righteous works. We're not saved by works of righteousness. Jesus' baptism did not save, but it pictures the great work of the Lord. That's why we have two sacraments. And they both collectively teach the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. More about that later, of course. Now, uh, Jesus, of course, clarified that. So that baptism, some have supposed that, I think if you do this, it counts the same thing as being born again. They even try to twist what it says in John 3. To be born of water 
That means to be baptized. That's what they'll tell you. The whole tenor of Scripture is opposed to that. If you are saved by the blood of the crucified one, you should seek baptism, not to seal the deal. What could you add to the finished work of Christ? You could not. You shouldn't even entertain the notion that maybe there's something you could do. But some people think, well, we, we can always bypass that. I've been in a lot of funerals when I ask about the person's spiritual. They were baptized. Mm. First funeral I ever helped him. His name was Steve, too. His wife was 37, killed in a car crash. And old George Bedour sitting there at his old typewriter. And he gets to the spot where he says, was she a member of any church? Because they want to put stuff like that in the obituary. And Steve said, no, she wasn't. Because the world itself reckoned, well, if I remember a church, that's probably pretty good. Well, some churches can care less. I had a good friend whose dad said, hey, you're 14, you're only you need to come join the church. So he's go up there and talk to the preacher. And uh, if he has any questions, I'll, I'll talk to him. And that's not the biblical pattern. Some would tell you that baptism is a substitute for the blood of Christ. You don't hear it as much anymore, but Baptists used to have for their mantra, blood before water, Christ before the church. That puts things in their proper order. Some people have even invented a word. Now the capital of California is Sacramento. Or if you're listening to the guy in the GPS, it's Sacramento. And that's the word for sacrament. And there are a lot of people, and I'm not saying they're not saved, but they're not talking biblically, they will refer to baptism as a sacrament. I've got some books that say that baptism is a sacrament. That just proves that a piece of paper will leave still and let you write anything you want on it. What's the difference between a sacrament and something else? A sacrament is a means of grace, according to many theologians. In other words, this is something you can do to get on God's good side. You can be seen as right in His sight if you will do this. Then God will be impressed by this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you, you get baptized. Yeah, you, you join the church. Uh, you, you, you do this. You, do that. you know, People have all kinds of ideas of what would make God happy. Uh, they don't bother reading his word. Well, I just sort of feel like, again, that I feel like theology. That's, that's for the birds. A sacrament whereby we receive favor and or a better standing with God. Now, what does the Bible teach about the nature and purpose of baptism? You see, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. Now, there were problems in the Corinthian church, no doubt about it. But Paul had something way to go to say about the Corinthians in chapter 11. Verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 11. Now, I praise you, brother. I got something good to tell you, folks. You got something right there. 
that you remember me in all things. And what else? You keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. That's why Baptists have always said baptism is an ordinance. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance. When we come to this table and we remember the death of Christ, that's an ordinance. You know what that means? The Lord ordained. The Lord directed. He taught that we do. So it's something that we do in obedience to the Lord. Now He didn't tell us to be baptized or dunked or whatever, you know, every quarter or once a year or uh, something like that. But we do find encouragement that this is our first identification with the Lord. And that's why we do it. Now, why do we have communion more than once in our lifetime? Well, Paul says, as oft as you do it, you do it in remembrance of Him. But those are ordinances. There's no grace involved in your partaking of one of the ordinances. You know what? If you do the right thing, the Lord says, you've done the right thing. But you don't get any better standing in heaven or anything like that. You don't suddenly get a special glow or anything like that. No. But you're, you're obedient. We're supposed to be obedient children to our Father. Little brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And so, really, some people, I've got 99 reasons why you ought to be baptized. Well, really, the first one, the Lord said too. Well, I don't feel like it. You know, there are an awful lot of things you probably don't feel like. I told Brother Earl Smith when I first had him wear glasses. But Brother Smith had a hard time getting used to these glasses. And he said, you wear shoes, don't you? Well, yeah. you got used to that. You better get used to wearing glasses. Well, bumping into people and stuff. So that's, that's, a, that's a like it or not, you know. We get a little older and our eyes aren't quite as good as they used to be. Turn with me please to Galatians chapter 3. Because when we are baptized, this is how we identify with the Lord's work. I've probably told you this before, but it won't hurt to repeat because it illustrates a very important concept. I took my oath, U.S. Navy, in Sacramento, California, in, what was it, June or July of 81. Thank you. I didn't show up to officer candidate school until November of that year in Newport, Rhode Island. That's 3,000 miles away. And a few months later, well, after I'd taken my oath, I mean, I had the lieutenant, he had to sign the papers, they took pictures. Ooh, it's a documented fact. I'm in the Navy. And I saw my cousin Ron. And, I, and Ron already had about 14, 15 years in under his belt, when I saw him. I said, hey, Ron, I'm in the Navy too. And he said, have you worn the uniform yet? Well, no, but that's that's come up. Then you're not in the Navy yet. What do you mean? I signed the papers. I took the oath. Yeah, yeah, but you're not really in the Navy. So you wear the uniform. 
And I got to thinking, what's he talking about? And then I went to Newport. And then I got my ear yelled in and, and got to see this and got to see that. And I was just a civilian who'd taken a oath, an oath in Sacramento. But when I got there in Rhode Island, and I got to find out what it was like to live in King Hall, and I got to see what it was like to be in the brig. Yes, I was in the brig for three and a half weeks. Not as an occupant, as a worker. But I was still in the brig. And I got to see the Navy in some ways that some of my buddies didn't even get to see. But you know, you don't identify with the Lord. Tell people you're a Christian with your mouth and they may or may not believe you. Tell them by saying, I'm going to follow the Lord in baptism. They're going to believe that because you have made a commitment. Galatians 3.27 Paul says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I thought, I'm in the name in Sacramento in July of 81. And my experienced Navy cousin says, yeah, put on the uniform. <laughs> and I found out what he was talking about. Months and miles later, when I did put on the uniform, now people see me. There's something expected of me. Now, I don't want to judge anybody's motives, <laughs> but let's face it, if you don't put on the uniform, uh, you might be able to kind of kind of sort of fit anywhere and everywhere but if you want to commit to Jesus Christ that's what the Bible teaches that's how we do it well I, I wear a cross I've got a Bible in my desk I do this I, I'm not saying those aren't good things to do but what did the Lord say and what did the Lord do and what did Paul say if you have been baptized you have put on Christ. You know, that took a while to sink into me. But baptism is a pretty special thing. Now, it's not just Paul, but Peter. I think Peter knew something about baptism. He was there, as we know. He was involved a lot in baptism. 1 Peter chapter 3. And he's been talking about the great work of the Lord. I want you to see verses 20 and 21. He's talking about those to whom the Lord preached. And he said, Which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing where few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Now, some people have a field day that saved by water and was Noah saved by water? Or was he saved by the ark that kept him above and out of the water? Okay, water was involved, but the water didn't save Noah, now did it? The like figure of it. Why is that in our Bible? To give us a lesson. To illustrate something. The like figure weren't to even baptism doth also now save us. Now some people have a field day with that. See, the Bible says baptism saves you. Well, it doesn't save you in the sense of what Christ did. 
It's His blood that saves us from our sin. But to have your life put on display, to have you to be energized and encouraged to know that you're doing what the Lord told you to do. So what does Peter say about baptism? The life figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. When a sinner goes in the tank, when a sinner goes into the river, had a preacher friend when he was in Hawaii, baptized somebody in the Pacific, and he said, this is the largest baptismal pool on the planet. It is, because about two-thirds of the planet is taken up by ocean, and the biggest ocean is the Pacific. But baptism, uh, amen, I might wash some dirt off the outside, but it doesn't touch your soul. It doesn't make you right with God except you're, you're acting in obedience. The Lord gave us four children. Not a one of those children obeyed Marcia or me in order to be our child, but they sure enough did because they were our child. Not calling a person unsaved if they're not baptized, but if they're saved, what does the Word say? God's children, God's babes, babes in Christ. He calls it not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. In other words, God says, you want to do this. So the little preacher told me I ought to. Well, the preacher does. He's just repeating what the Scriptures say. The example of God's Word. The direct instruction of the Word of God. You start asking, how can I really show that I'm on fire? How can I show that I'm committed? I have decided to follow Jesus. How can I do that? Well, you do this, you do this, you do this. But what's the thing the Lord did? Before He actually began His public ministry, He went to John and He was baptized. He put it on display. He made a very clear thing. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. A dear lady we saw a couple of months ago, when she was an itty bitty, her parents took her to the Pedo Baptist Church and she was sprinkled as a little baby. So she was told that she'd been baptized. And then when she got to be about 1920, she started going to a Baptist church and they say, You've been baptized? Well, in that, oh, they don't even baptize the right way. You need to be water baptized. You need to be dunked. So, okay. So she was dunked. Now, she had the right form and she was a believer, but she she didn't connect the dots. She just did it because I'm going to do this. Okay. Like, you got to quit, you know, quit chewing gum. Well, okay. Well, just because somebody suggests a thing doesn't mean that's the way it is. But as I was teaching on the subject of baptism, we had a young lady who professed faith and we planned to baptize her and this gal already a member of the church because we'd accept and she said you know when I was dunked by the Baptist I just did it because somebody ought to do this but uh, I'm convicted I don't think my baptism was right I said well if you don't think it was right uh, we can take care of that, so we baptize too that day. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible says, examine yourself when you the faith. We ought to ask ourselves, did I have the right mind, the right heart? 
when I did that. I'm not saying everybody that run on get rebaptized or anything like that, but that's what it is. It's the answer of a good conscience. The Lord would have me to do this the right way for the right reason. And now back up to 1 Corinthians 12. Because Paul talks about baptism here. Now I know there are people who are, they would say we're out to lunch. And, oh, you don't understand. That first Corinthians, that's talking about Holy Spirit <coughs> baptism. And one of the verses they like to use is right here in verse 13. Now, first Corinthians 12 is talking about the body. The body has many members, but it's all it's all connected. The blood, if the blood doesn't get to a part of your body, that part of your body will die. It could kill you if you don't get blood to it. So the blood connects the whole thing. If my hand were amputated, it's not part of the body anymore. Some people will tell you, oh yeah, there's this magical, mystical church. And part of it existed hundreds of years ago, and parts of it existed on other continents, but we're all mystically connected. Well, that's the family of God. I got family. I got family in California. I've got family in Virginia. Uh, unless he's left, uh, I got a son in Vermont. We're our family, and the family of God. We got brothers and sisters who they've been in heaven as far as we count time for hundreds of years. We got brothers and sisters we won't meet till we get to heaven. We're all the family of God, but a church. It's more than just individuals. It's individuals who are united. They come to the same place at the same time. That's what church is all about. I've got a lot of folks I used to be church member with, but uh, they've done been promoted, folks. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether it be Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, and been made to drink into one spirit. And some people, it's a capital S. That means it's the Holy Spirit. Well, capitalizing, that's just something that people put in there. Up in verse 11, all these work at that one and the self-same Spirit. The same formula is used over Philippians 1, 27, which speaks of the Spirit of oneness. Is there a Holy Spirit of oneness? I, I don't think so. Let me show you that real quick. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. He says, Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. You ought to behave in such a way that it lifts up the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent. So, if I'm there or if I'm not, here's what you need to do, folks, in Philippi, that I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit. In other words, the spirit of oneness. Y'all need to be on the same page. You know what it says in Acts chapter 1? It says they were all in one accord. There wasn't a bunch of division. And they weren't antagonistic toward each other. You know, a body has to get along. Because if my head says I need to go to Little Rock and my Legs say, no, uh, you need to go over to Oklahoma. Uh, you've got a problem there. Because my head can't be a little rock and my legs in Oklahoma. That, that just doesn't work. 
And so we need to be on the same page there. So in the spirit of oneness, that's what we see. And uh, so that's why when we talk about baptism, we're talking water, baptism, believers, baptism. When we're baptized, I don't know where you were, I don't know what year it was on the calendar, but if you were already a child of God and you have believers' baptism, you're just as much baptized as anybody else. Some people, well, I was baptized by so and so. Well, you follow the Lord in baptism. And it's not so much who did it, it's not a question of how long ago, but were you the proper candidate? So we close to Acts chapter 2. What does it say about that day of Pentecost? That tremendous day. Now some people make a mistake. That was the birthday of the church. No, because the Lord added thousands to the church. Kind of hard to add to if it doesn't exist yet. Acts 2 verse 38. Peter said to these who said, Men, brethren, what should we do? Peter said, Repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And we'll touch on that four later. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You, you're concerned about your sin. You make a profession of faith. What should you do? Be baptized. And then drop down to verse 41. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And if the Lord added 3,000 souls to this church in one day, I don't know where we put them, you. But I'm sure the Lord, if He provided uh, something like that to happen, He would make a way. Our, our job is to preach the Word. To live, to obey, to follow through as the Lord would have us to. Now this was part one. Lord gives me strength. I want to show you some of the others, but I think I'm giving up to chew on for this time. Let's stand.